Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, universities should be by word for free speech, original thinking, freedom. Uh, but really, as we enter 2021, they seem to be the very opposite of that. Whether you're talking about the academic world, the orthodoxies there, or whether you're talking about just simple free speech, people coming to speak at universities. On all of these fronts, it appears that restrictiveness is the order of the day. So this is extremely worrying, obviously, for our culture, because this is at the very, very centre of it. Now, with me to discuss these issues, I'm very pleased that we have Professor Jeremy Black. He is Emeritus Professor of History at the University of Exeter. He's also a senior fellow at Policy Exchange on their history project. Uh, he also happens to be the most prolific historian, having written something like 160 books. Then there is Dr. Philip Kizzeli, who is the lecturer in performance and cultural history at the University of Leeds and also has been on the show a number of times before, so it's good to see him. And Emma Webb, uh, as usual, I'm pleased to say, uh, who is an associate fellow at Civitas. Um, there are all sorts of aspects, as I said in the introduction, to this particular subject of freedom in the academic world on campus. Uh, can I start by asking you, Jeremy, uh, not that long ago, I think Philip, uh, it was David Davis who suggested that there should be some sort of legislation brought in to guarantee free speech in universities. Um, this was just a proposal, but how did that strike you when you heard that? Well, I think that we all agree about the problem, and the problem is that universities, particularly in the humanities and social sciences, are offering often a very slanted account and those who don't fit in with that, whether they're teachers or students, are, you know, in difficulties. The question is how best to deal with that. And that's a different issue, because when I looked at that free speech, I thought, yes, well, I could admire that in some cases. But what happens if that is used on behalf of, for example, a Holocaust denier or somebody of that type? So I'm a bit worried about the notion of primary legislation on the matter, but I'm very happy to be convinced I do not have confidence in universities' ability to regulate themselves. And in fact, I would say the situation has grown radically worse since David Davis made what I think was a helpful intervention, because I think that the so-called diversity and equality agenda and the way that's been weaponized in terms of decolonization is actively distorting teaching and research syllabuses and wrecking careers. Uh, uh, Philip, you know, this point that Jeremy just made about universities, uh, him not trusting universities to regulate themselves, this is the, the, the shocking thing in a way I thought about what David Davis said, is that we'd actually got to a point where, you know, some sort of legislation might be necessary. Do you think, do you think it's overstating it or not? It's a really difficult one, but no, I, I, I don't think it's overstating it. I, I agree with, with essentially with, with what Jeremy said. And, and I was just thinking about what are we talking about here? We're talking about freedom of speech, but we, we're really talking about the freedom to tell the truth, aren't we? And that's, that's really what, what it's all about. It's the, the, the freedom to tell the truth 
as we see it and that and that works in lots and lots of ways um, in terms of research in terms of impact in terms of uh, learning and teaching I think if we if we shy away from that we do two things first of all we keep silent uh, if we're cowed by a, a, a an orthodoxy if, if we see an orthodoxy on on, on campus and, and we keep silent and that's bad that's bad in for, for individuals it's bad for uh, for scholarship, uh, for scholars, and, and it's and it's and it's bad for subjects. Um, the other thing that that we might do as well is 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 tell lies, um, because if we don't say what we think, and we don't you know say what we perceive to be the truth, then then we'll fall in line and and, and tell lies because we we feel as though we have to, um, and that um, that that's just you know the worst possible thing we can do. Um, I. I'd probably say that that's been happening. I, I'd, I'd say that that's been happening. So I'd, I'd, I'd say that, that maybe something does need to be done. The difficulty is is is, is untangling what needs to be done and, and thinking about well, where do we where do we separate this this idea of, of orthodoxy and where do we set, where where do we get to the idea of, of really pushing debate and, and really thinking rigorously about about ideas there have been studies done on this haven't there emma you know about the the state of freedom for want of a better at you know i think policy exchange did one and civitas itself has done one uh, which and, and the, the general sort of uh, results seem to be that it was actually in a bad way. I mean, Jeremy's alluded to it there, that, it, that something like 48 universities were considered to be very restrictive when it came to free speech, and a, another 70 were sort of moderately restrictive. But we're talking about different things, aren't we? We're talking about academic orthodoxy and freedom, and we're talking about student freedom, the ability to say what you think or, or to, to hear certain speakers. Yeah, I think it's... Um the two are kind of tangled into each other because the issue with academic freedom is, as was already mentioned, it's about the freedom to pursue and to, to talk about truth and to discuss different ideas. And so in an academic setting, it's obviously particularly important to be able yeah. to do that. Um, and one of the issues that has been highlighted by these reports, like the Policy Exchange Report uh, that was published last August, and one of the authors of that was Eric Kaufman, who's made this point very well in the past, that this is this is about the ability to um, to access <coughs> truth, to discuss to discuss things, and and the um, that I think the the uh, chilling effect that that has if the environment amongst the academics themselves is one of restriction then that students are not going to be able to learn the value of free speech from the academic community mm. and one of the interesting findings actually from the policy exchange report was and this is i think absolutely horrifying they found that um i think it was 54 percent of uh, academics said that they would uh, would be uncomfortable sitting next to uh an a, a sort of vocal leave supporter really? at lunch How many? and 54 percent and 37 percent um said that they so that was how many would feel comfortable yeah. um and 37 percent said that they would feel comfortable sitting next to somebody who had uh, gender critical views in the trans debate so these academics don't even feel comfortable being near their conservative peers. The policy exchange report showed that there were there was discrimination in um, 
in the publishing of journal articles, in promotions, in pretty much every area of academic life. And the, the, the impact that that has on, some, on, on an individual academic's ability to even think truthfully and think honestly, I think that it has a limiting effect because mm. obviously if you're afraid, if you feel you have to self-censor, the obvious thing to do is to intellectually censor yourself as well so that you don't accidentally wrong speak. Yeah. You have to prevent yourself also from wrong thinking. Um, and I think that obviously has an Can impact I, on on the student body as well because they're not they're not learning from the academic community. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Can I can I just can I just follow up on that because I think it's a really it's a really good point and it, and it reminds me of something. I think what Emma's just said is is reflected in 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 the funding mechanisms as well for research and the criteria for for you know um, awarding funding for research um, that is in a way it's a kind of roundabout way of censoring as well you're only going to get funding for a particular kind of research i would say you are certainly not going to get funding for say conservative leaning research around around heritage around nation around ideas of of, of identity that, that that differ from 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 the identitarian i would mm. suggest Yes, I agree with that entirely. And I do think that it is getting worse as a result of this decolonization yeah. agenda. I think it's getting worse as a result of the way in which universities evaluate the teaching and research of their staff in accordance with what I think one could fairly say as wokish mm. norms. So I think we all agree, and I think what Emma and Philip have said is completely correct. The question is, as always, how on earth yeah. do we move forward from here? Yeah. That, I think, is the problem. Now, as I understand it, you know, you can read those pieces that Rachel Sylvester is putting out in the Times as a sort of mouthpiece for, for Whitehall speak. There is an argument that is going on within government against the notion of what they call culture wars, and the argument being that that's what characterised Trump and that that was a mistake and we mustn't see it in Britain. <laughs> problem with that is that if we leave a situation in which the government, and we do have a conservative government with the largest majority mm. for a long time, if we do, if we're not prepared to do something now, then I don't think anything ever will happen. So if it is the case that they don't wish to introduce primary legislation, and maybe primary legislation would not work, I do not know, then one has to think about other means. Now, one of the obvious means, and I'm sure Philip and Emma would agree with me on this, is the financial clout. If you have universities that are behaving in an um, egregious, uh, discriminatory fashion, then quite frankly, every time that they ring up a minister and ask for money, the minister should say to them, well, look, I'm interested in what you have to say, but I'd rather not deal with a body in which the university seems to be incapable of providing freedom of speech for either its students or its staff. Maybe you should address that before you ask for any more yeah. cash. Now, if universities were told that then they would get their clear their act up but they are certainly not going to clear up their act up for any other reason so it's got to be a kind of financial imperative then that's i that's a really really good point and one of the things that has been pointed out again with the policy exchange report and eric kaufman has made this point is that whilst there is a sort of um institutional protection for people's 
emotions in a sense through yeah. the decolonizing um, side of things that we don't have the same kind of systemic to use their own language protections for free speech and one of the suggestions was that we could have um, a particular post in the office for students that would be responsible for protecting academic freedom and I think that the the fu financial side of things the funding side of things is really really important um, particularly with the you know the grants making process is another example example of that because one of the ways that I think is often not discussed as much as the obvious restrictions on academic freedom is the way that people who may not necessarily um, think in the sort of let's say critical theory style mm. of, of speaking um, people are forced to funnel their research through particular methodologies which are basically just ideologies and they're forced to funnel their work through these prisms in order to get funding in order to get published in order to get promoted and so we need to look more deeply at the 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 institutions themselves and one way to do that is through looking at the financial side of things but that's something that potentially somebody in a post at the office for students could do though I would be a not necessarily so optimistic that they would succeed because it's a huge job because it's something that's been going on for you know since the 60s really yes. um, but I think that that's a really important point that we need to remove the the weighting in the direction of emotional protection back at least in some balance with protections of academic freedom and free speech because at the moment I think people's research is getting all tied up and restricted in this very reductive use of language and methodologies yes it has all become about language, has it not, really, Jeremy? Well, I mean, that's a major thing, but I think it's at all levels. First of all, I agree with everything Emma's said, but I think one can also ratchet it up. I mean, one of the sadnesses is that um, because now you are having very prescriptive uh, teaching practices in order to encourage people to think in certain ways, that affects, for example, how postgraduates mm. are taught. It therefore affects the kind of person who would wish to be a postgraduate and the next generation of academics. I think Emma is absolutely right, and I'm, Philip is absolutely right about the funding councils. I, I have to tell you, I do not have any confidence in the funding councils at all. And what is fascinating in my own subject, which is history, is you will often find work that is of better quality and that seeks to engage with the public much more that comes outside mm. the funding councils and often is written by non-academics. Now, it is, that is really sad. You would have hoped that academics would try and engage more with the public, which who are ultimately the people funding them. But there seems to be this sort of uh, traison de clerc, this idea that in some way they must stick to the ideology. But the other point, the people who we're not really talking about, and the, the group that I feel most sad on their behalf, are undergraduates. Um, I can recall feeling very, very sad when I had undergraduates that they felt doing, and people who said this to me were doing either history degrees, degrees, politics degrees, or interestingly enough for me, because I'm interested in the subject, geography degrees. And they said that they felt very much that they were um, you know, being pressurised to argue in a certain way, that they were mocked by their tutors if they didn't uh, take the uh, greed line, that they were worried about their marks. And remember, for a lot of jobs, you can't move forward unless you get a 2-1. 
and you know I, and they would say to me you know is it a fair comment that this seems to be institutional mm. prejudice that a, and i would say to you you're almost certainly correct i would say to you that almost certainly you'll have absolutely no luck the universities in the universities complaints procedures the only advice i could give people was to choose courses um, and i would actually add degree subjects uh, but teach, teach choose courses where the lecturer seemed less prejudiced so one of my advice now to students is not or potential students is not to, to apply to a department uh, doing either history or English, which puts decolonization as a major theme of what it regards as its ethos, because in a way, what it is doing is closing down debate. There is no yeah. point doing a history or English degree unless debate is part of the agenda. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, we still live in a democracy. And to the best of my knowledge, we still believe that in a democracy, there are a variety of views that it is legitimate to hold. But one of the few places where that does not seem to be accepted is the university structure. Philip, does, um, does the whole decolonization uh, phenomenon, which uh, Jeremy was just uh, describing that. How does it? How does it actually sort of affect your area? You know, your what you teach. I mean, is it, is it something that is dominant now in your particular area of, of cultural history? Oh yes, I, I, I think it is certainly. But I, I, I defend my corner very vigorously, and and, and I kind of um, you know personally, I teach post twentieth century. Um, British cultural history, and, and 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 that's not me just you know looking and putting my head in the sand. That's me thinking about Britain, mapping on globally, thinking about various kinds of histories. Um, but I, I think the problem comes down to this: that it, it becomes a zero-sum game. Now, every everybody who's interested in in knowledge wants to broaden their knowledge. But as we've seen from the, the latest example, which was Leicester, I think, wasn't it, this week, where they decided to kind of jettison completely uh, Chaucer in favor of, I think they described it as themed style kind of degree programs. Um, that's that's a zero sum game. That, that's, 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 you know, weighing kind of, uh, you know, importance there and, 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 and reducing a particular kind of heritage, a particular kind of identity to absolutely nothing. And I think that's the key problem. It's either or and it shouldn't be. Is it sort of, it's an at attack, surely, isn't it, on knowledge? And it, it's, a, it's yeah. an attack on yeah. our knowledge, isn't it, really? It's it's interesting because they almost have sort of lifted the, the sheet up and yes. shown us what's yes. given us a sort of yes. cheeky glimpse yeah. of what's really going on, which is that they now view yeah, Emma's right. They yeah. now view academia yeah. as or their their sort of relationship with their students and teaching as a manipulative exercise. Mm. It isn't giving them the tools and the curiosity to explore whatever they like and teaching them on the subjects that the academics have particular expertise on, but not limiting the students in any way. It's as as said, you know, like it's a zero sum game. It, we're we're going to remove some things from you with the intention of manipulating you down a particular path in accordance with a particular ideology that is accepted by the university and all the universities. And I think there are some exceptions to this. Buckingham have been a very notable exception to it. But there isn't really yeah. anywhere that you can go to escape this. I remember when I when I you know did my undergraduate and then did my postgraduate it was exactly the same thing there. And no matter I did a Jewish studies master's degree and even there the, the 
gender and sexuality and things and were being woven into it. Um, there's nowhere that you can go to escape this line and it's obviously things have progressed since then. Um, but there isn't really anywhere that, that these students can go. And because, particularly for undergraduates, when you're in your late teens, you don't have the capacity yet necessarily to really understand what's going on with these methodologies and things that are being fed to you yeah, that yeah. are quite manipulative. And mm. if you get stuck on that path because you are really coerced to because of your need for career progression either in academia or outside by needing to get the grades you have really two choices you can either write satirical essays that mock the system and see if you can get away with it in order to get the good grades or you have to really force your brain into it and you're, I imagine there will be lots of students who are left thinking, this doesn't feel right, but I don't really know why, and I can't quite yeah. wriggle myself out of the straitjacket I've been put into. Yes. Can I say, I think Emma's absolutely right, and I think the interesting thing about the Leicester one, and I think it's actually that they're proposing, with the exception of Shakespeare, to ditch everything prior to 1600. Um, mm. I think the interesting thing is, unusually, that got into the public domain. What is really striking, what your listeners may find um, more alarming, is that this is being pressed further and faster in many institutions, but not getting into the public domain. And as Emma says, it ends up washing out into, you know, if the listeners here are people thinking of going to university or their parents or friends. It ends up to them being given what is in some respects um, at best seriously distorted and at worst um, almost manipulative, if not a deliberate and aggressive form of brainwashing. And I just think that's an enormous pity. I mean, the state is putting vast amounts of money into the university se sector. The university sector in science, engineering, medicine is doing an enormous amount of good work, crucial work during the COVID epidemic, but also crucial if Britain is to make a success of itself. But I have to say, I am extraordinarily dubious about the quality and ethos of two main areas. One, uh, many of the, not all, not all, there are good people, but many of the as it were, uh, teachers in the humanities and social sciences. But secondly, and in a sense, um, in a way more troubling, it's university administrators, because it's often university administrators who are directing the system, the kind of people that sit there on diversity committees, the mm. kind of... Um, you know, time servers that get made vice chancellors or deputy vice chancellors. And, you know, the joke used to be those who can do, those who can't teach. Absolute rubbish. Those who can't uh, actually become university administrators and university politicians. And was those, are the people who are those are the people who are producing a system which harms good teachers, but even more seriously, uh, really is distorting our values as a democracy, mm. and harm, which I think is a, a social problem, and of course is making life very difficult, as Emma says, for, for young people who want to think for themselves, which is what we should be encouraging. I think, um, just, just to add to that, yeah. Sorry, just, just just one final thing on that. And, and Jeremy uh, mentioned the word value there. And I've just been, I've got a piece of paper next to me. and I've been doodling the word value all over it. Uh, there you go. Um, um, and and one of the one of the um, one of the interesting things about why that decision was made and who made that decision. The, the, the point is a well-made one about university administrators, but the other one is that they said something about, well, this is what the students want. 
you know this is this is you know it must be good for them so this is what the students want and i think i think the whole sector over the last i don't know seven or eight years or so has been led by the nose by something called the national student survey which is which is you know ranks universities in terms of student satisfaction and it and it's this idea of you know we will give them exactly you know whatever they want and, uh, as long as they're happy and and if we're talking about values uh, not only kind of academic values but ethical values as well i think that's really dubious mm. actually just going going on from that point a bit uh you took you're discussing the humanities there we were talking about the humanities i mean some people i think it might have been i don't want to take his name wrong in vain here but it, i think it was was sir, sir roger scruton who said that they were pretty much over i mean that they were beyond help you know i mean is that being too drastic you know I, I i i never think anything's over and i never think it, it, it's beyond help and and because i always i always i always want to turn things round. We've already talked about language and, and we've already talked about um, the use of language and, and what that does. So I've, I, I, I present research that absolutely and self-consciously avoids using that language because if you use the language of your opponents, then, then, then you, you, you lose immediately. I'm getting published. Um, and, I, and I'm kind of, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm publishing the kind of stuff that I want to. So I, I, I don't think the battle's lost, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and there are you know there are great individuals um, in, in institutions up and down. We've already mentioned Eric Kaufman, for example, uh, up and down the country who who are who who are thinking freely and, and, and thinking rigorously. Um, but by God, it's an uphill struggle. It's an uphill struggle. I think one thing that also happened quite recently uh, was there was a bit of controversy surrounding the. Uh, giving of an OBE to Kathleen Stock, who professor yeah. of philosophy at uh, down at Sussex, and again this is quite quite interesting. I thought because uh, they were just uh, these were views that she had uh, that were sort of questioning, shall we say, of the rightness of allowing transgender women into changing rooms, into you know female lavatories, and. Uh, 600 academics wrote a letter basically condemning the fact that she'd been given the OBE. Isn't it the matter, therefore, that really, you know, you have to, almost on a personal level, you have to sort of fit in with a set of views, I mean, regardless of your discipline. Is, isn't that the case at universities and academic? Certainly is for students, surely. Yes, well, I think you're right. I mean, in many senses, one's the best advice you can often give somebody starting their professional career in any profession, in any job, is to try and find friendships and develop friendships outside your workplace. I think that's important. Um, I don't know Catherine Stock. I imagine she um, was felt that if she'd been provocative, she'd have had several thousand people complain. You can usually find six hundred idiots to sign something against anybody. So I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that. Um, so, but the the I think the more substantive point is this that the joke used to be 
Um, it didn't really matter what the academics said because the students ignored them and still went on through life. And actually, the as it were, they were taught didn't have an effect. That might have been true for some people in the past. I'm not actually convinced it was true. I certainly don't think it's so easy now. Mm. And I think that one of the developments of the last uh, 30 years has been that higher education has institutionalized itself. It's become a very, very, very large industry. Um, as a very large industry, it's got a lot of lobbyists, it's got a lot of vested interests, particularly municipal authorities built into it, and its value system is has become one which it seeks to inculcate. Now, I think it's fair to say, there was never a golden age, but I think it's fair to say that the idea in the past was that people engaged in debate, and it was through debate, through the Hegelian notion of thesis and antithesis and synthesis that subjects move forward. The trouble is that if you argue that there is a correct answer uh, and that what a surprise that correct answer is my answer, whoever me is, then you end up with a situation in which academic value goes out in terms of actually encouraging people to develop their ideas. And instead of which, the university becomes a place in which you put a stamp on somebody. And that wow. stamp says, um, we have approved this person, they have the right values, and they are employable. Now, I think there is a degree to which that that is getting towards an Orwellian system, a 1984 yep. okay. system. And I think that's very unwelcome. And as I said, we are supposed to be a democracy. If we were in a state like Belarus, um, then you could say that we have university humanities departments that fit in. But I do not think that they are appropriate in a democratic society where it should be acceptable to have views to be a conservative. It should be acceptable to have views that you don't agree with critical race theory. You should be able to, uh, to have a whole host of ideas that are ones that are not those that are illegal. It is illegal to be, obviously, in terms of race or sex or, uh, or you know, some, uh, some other, uh, or for example, libel. There are laws that constrain what we could and should say. But within those bounds, there should be a freedom of thought and an expression. And I'm afraid to say for many people there isn't. And I agree with Philip. You can navigate your way through. I mean, I essentially realized quite early on that I had to raise funds outside the university yeah. in order to finance my research and go to archives because there would be absolutely no way that a conservative like myself working on military history, high political history, was going to find favour with the funding councils and it worked. But as Philip says, it's not easy and it's much easier to be somebody that just fits in with the system, uh, not least because many of these people are rather shallow individuals who actually believe in those sort of the, the sort of values that they that they affirm. If I could just pick up on one of those uh, one of those points, which yeah. is it, it, we're all great points. It's, it's not just the ideas that are debated now. It's actually the very notion of debate is seen to be white supremacist. Yes, yes, yes. So if you, so if, if really, you know, where, where, where do you go from there? What, what do you do then? Do you have a knitting competition or do you, I don't know, what do you do? 
best gardens. I don't know. I don't know what you do. But so so there's there's a sense that, and and, and I think that's that's a really cynical way of of pulling apart the system. I don't. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if people really thought that was the case. It, it's what it's what Douglas Murray calls brute politics, and and of course we see it in academia just as we see it everywhere else. But it's something else. It's the it's the Twitterization of academia as well. It's it's this it's these short kind of little um, sound bites of, of of nonsense that that, that that academics just like everybody else kind of latch onto, and academics as much as everybody else more so kind of love to put out there you're laughing in kind of recognition <laughs> about that yeah. yeah i this this also goes back to the point about values because what the what sort of character are students being teach <laughs> teached taught what sort of <laughs> bad education um, we're totally sort of, non-judgmental what, here Emma, don't worry <laughs> what, what, sort, what sort of values are they what sort of values and character are they being taught because they're not being taught a democratic character. They're being sent out of the university into the world without an understanding of a true understanding of tolerance and negotiate mm. back to scruton a sort of mm. negotiation living in a particular you know particular settled community with people as a democracy is in terms of the nation and also locally. There is a sort of negotiation to that that it has to be part of the character and the universities are teaching the absolute opposite yeah. of that they're teaching intolerance reductive closed-minded mm. um thinking and I, I there obviously there are some exceptions to this there are some people you know for example at oxford who have a a, a really good sound understanding of you know character and, and the importance of character formation through education and so on um, and i mentioned buckingham as well and you know if this isn't a sort of sweeping generalization across universities but it does seem to be, you know, something that has permeated through the entire culture of the universities and sort of goes hand in hand with, as was already mentioned, the way that the industry, that the universities have become this huge industry, really. And so there is always going to be this economic um, incentive for them to keep pushing for these things. And um, and it, it's just, it, you, you're, what sort of uh, future generations are you producing i think so it's it, it, it there's a sort of sinister element to that um and also going back to the language point um a few years ago i think it was and i, I may be misremembering this but there was a, a very small scuffle over the teaching of anglo norse and celtic studies at the university of cambridge um, and there were some people who had said that they felt that even the the title of the course was somehow white supremacist. And this goes back to what you were just saying, that mm. you, you know that um, democracy, meritocracy, all of these things are now viewed as being somehow inherently white supremacist or complicit in whiteness, and therefore they've just got to go. Um, and you asked before whether, you know, is this the end of the university? I think something is gone at the sort of core of the culture of the point of a university, mm. even if it can still be salvaged, the, the light seems to be sort of being extinguished in that sense. And I think there's something sinister and worrying about that. Oh, uh, extremely worrying. I, I think as well, you, you talked about, you know, how, you know, students come out the other end. I, I, when I speak to people who have been recent undergraduates, you know, and this goes to the root of, I think, what we're talking about here, is this, 
there isn't a real belief in freedom, actually. Not, not really. I mean, you know that there used to be this sort of uh, argument, I'm for free speech, and then your opponent was, I'm for free speech, but, you know, and they would then list a lot of things. And th that gave you something to argue about. But I think now many of the younger people coming out of college actually prefer safety and security and lack of offence. And th those trump everything to do with freedom. Is that would you? Is that familiar that that scenario to you? I I, I think there's a there's a sense that the idea of um, debate, as, as we just talked about, but the idea you know swapping ideas and 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 thinking about different points of view has is 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 fast going out of the window, and 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 that that positionality of you think this. And I think that it, it's not that anymore. It's I am right and virtuous. You are wrong and wicked. Yes, and so the, I, I, I agree with you, Philip. Can I offer you a, an idea uh, about how best to describe this? We are yeah. moving from a three-dimensional culture to a two-dimensional yeah. culture. Yeah, I think that's it. What you are talking about, Philip, is a classic three-dimensional... I think this is an original idea of mine. I don't know, some, maybe I'm not, but I've never heard anybody else say it. In give a, it to me, Jeremy, and I'll steal it. Well, that's fine. Let me give it to you. In a three-dimensional culture, not only do you have differing viewpoints, but you also have depth through techniques like irony. Through, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and I'm afraid to say that the kind of characteristics we think about as... Um, classic British three-dimensional culture have been wiped out by becoming instead a two-dimensional uh, uh, kind of coercive sentimentality. And in yeah. coercive sentimentality, it is only some views and some emotions that are acceptable. And those emotions and sentiments have to be expressed very simply. So Emma making sophisticated points is completely unacceptable, totally unacceptable, because obviously if somebody believes that the sentiment is that of affirming the concept of white supremacy, then anybody that suggests that maybe one needs a bit more complexity is somebody by their very act of doing so is throwing a spanner at the entire works of this mm. new system. Mm. So I, I do feel... Now, there's several things to say. I mean, with reference to Peter's question about um, and the one that both of you... May, I think this is fascinating discussion. I hope you get people listening to it. And with reference to Peter's question, we've got two separate things here, which is, one, a general cultural issue. In other mm. words, how far are we talking about things that are going wrong with British culture as a whole? And secondly, how far are there specific dimensions in the universities? And if so, what should we be thinking about to address the university mm. issue as opposed to the cultural issue. Now, I think that, Peter, this is a very good topic because I think what you've got is a general cultural problem, the rise of sentiment, the idea that you should feel something rather than you should think it and that you validate things through th through feeling, not, not thinking. I think that's very much a cultural trope and you could, you know, you could see all sorts of things, the reaction to Lady Diana's death, the politics of Tony Blair, a whole host of things when you get sent to the rise of sentiment. But separately, there is the institutional practice of it in universities. And I think both Emma and Philip are absolutely right in drawing 
drawing attention to it. I think it is an issue. And I think given that the government spends so much money on universities, it wouldn't be hard. I mean, what I think it was uh, Philip who used the phrase brute politics uh, from, from Douglas Murray, it would not be harmful if the government every so often used the brute politics of treasury funds to simply say to people, this is not acceptable. We don't wish or intend to fund as a university what clearly is not providing. So we are only going to fund your science side and you can think about what else you want to do to improve your other side. I, I, I think this brings us really neatly back to the idea of censorship and freedom of speech, because what I think this stuff does, it, it it's cynical and it, it, it assumes wickedness and it assumes evil before anybody's opened their mouth. And, and, and that, is, that is related to characteristics um, and often, you know, as much as anything else. And, 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 and so it, it, there's a, there can be in, in, in some institutions uh, a, a sense of, of, of fear that, 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 that comes from that. So it, it, it goes full circle in a way. It goes full circle in a way, and it's that it's that initial and central lack of goodwill, and and that's what's really really worrying and really really scary about about thinking today. Um, at the very yes, beginning, at the very beginning of the program, uh, just to round off here, um, Jeremy, you said that you didn't have that much faith in the uh, universities regulating themselves and. And then you, you, you told us why. But then we did recently have what appeared to be a kind of victory for free speech, didn't we, at Cambridge, where there was the definition which was going to be set as being that you should respect other views. And this was, there was a, a, a campaign against it. And in fact, now it's just, you have to tolerate others' views. So do you know about this? This was seen as some kind of great, um, you know, triumph. But that's the case of universities yeah. regulating themselves effectively, mm -hmm. no? I suspect also that part of the kickback against some of the, the, the two-dimensional culture that is developing the, in the universities, I'm going to steal that one now too, um, and the sentimentality is that there will be some academics and some students who kick back against the, the, the consequences of this on the, the quality and rigor of research and thinking. Mm. I think because there's a sort of, there's always a laziness to ideological thinking and that's what you kind of get with the brainwashing inculcating people into thinking about, you know, when people talk about a feminist reading of or um, a, I, I don't know what other types of readings of there may be, but all sorts of critical readings yeah. of different things. It's teaching people to think a set of beliefs and then to apply that to any given piece of literature or whatever. And I think some of the kickback within the institutions, like in Cambridge and, and um, there have been other cases elsewhere as well, will not necessarily although in that instance it may have been coming from a sort of principled position of academic freedom, but that you have to have respect for other people's beliefs if you are going yes. to have at least a degree of rigour, because otherwise everybody is just forced into this lazy two-dimensional culture of thinking. Yes. Uh, 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 Peter, can I just say, yes, Peter, the decision in Cambridge was welcome, but Cambridge and Oxford are unusual in that the academics there have more power. And you will notice that it was the Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge and his 
cadre who are pushing the more restrictive um, yeah. uh, formulation. In other words, they were pushing the political correctness. And I, I'm a Cambridge alumni, and I can tell you, alumnus, I can tell you if you read the stuff that comes out of Cambridge all the time, it's full of uh, politically correct garbage that really, you know, when I started my academic career in 1980, I would have given a very low grade to if somebody had written that in an essay. And yet that is now the vice chancellor of Cambridge. So I, I, I do not, I do not have the confidence. Well, you may think that I'm being unfair. I tell you that is a view of many Cambridge graduates. No, no. Um, so you may think, I, I, you may think <laughs> I am being, um, you may think I'm being unfair, Peter. But the reality is that in most universities, the the as it were the um, juggernaut of the equality and diversity uh, bodies are pushed through and it really often to the exclusion of any concern about the welfare uh, of the mm. staff the welfare of the students the the intellectual rigor i mean intellectual rigor is gone i mean as as both of my colleagues are saying if you look at the language that is used in many of these um, uh, many of these documents, the language is ridiculous, the grammar is often absent, and the process of cause and effect are confused so that they prove themselves from, in fact, the conclusions they have already drawn. I mean, it is just garbage, but unfortunately, that is the way up. And, and you know, as you mentioned policy exchange, I'm, I'm on the history matters thing, and in fact, the, the rather brilliant policy that was followed was simply to publish some of these documents in extenso because once you realize, read what is being said you realize how idiotic a lot of it is but the difficulty <laughs> yeah. is where do we move forward that yes. peter is what you must encourage a debate on what is it possible to do and how can a conservative government which has a parliamentary majority act in order to try and ensure freedom of thought and freedom of speech and much more importantly a democratic culture that is inculcated for the next generation rather than being told remarks and ideas which by their very nature are anti-democratic just 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 to just to follow up on that it, it might be that that next generation brings those ideas to the university and the university doesn't give them uh give them to the to the to that generation so we We've got. I mean, we're on this program now. It, it will it will get a lot of views as as this channel always does. There are there are different channels like it, all talking about free speech, all talking, all going against the identitarian orthodoxy. There are you know best selling authors who who are who, who are doing similar kinds of things, and and young people are flocking to 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 people like Sam Harris, Douglas Murray, Jordan Peterson, or all of those people. Um, so maybe I, maybe those young people are going to go to the university with a different set of ideas and challenge the orthodoxy themselves, and, and, and maybe it's up to us to support them. Well, well that, that, that that's very nice. Just don't say it too loudly, Philip, because big tech might hear you and then sh shut us down. All right, so 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 be careful. All right, thank you very very much, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Philip. Thank you very much, Emma, for that. Uh, that was counterculture. Um, thank you to my guests again. Great discussion, I think. Uh, we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye.